0: Hey, what's up everybody? This is Jesse with Real Weirdos, and uh, before today's podcast, I just wanted to let you know that there are some audio issues with the levels, uh, but they sort themselves out pretty quickly, so just be aware of that as it starts, because it's a little bit rough, but it gets better as it goes along. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. And we're back, boys. Real Weirdos podcast with uh, Jesse Ketman. Jeff Casino and Alex Aber. and today we're talking about the holy mountain now this is one of my favorites of all time it is a complete masterpiece of weirdness and uh one of the most interesting and mind-boggling experiences I think one can ever have in cinema now neither of you had seen this before um Jeff, you'd seen some scenes, but can I get some preliminary reactions out of you two for this?
1: Um, well, I would love to give my reaction. So this film was like a movie that I had seen like in passing when Jesse and a bro- my brother used to watch movies together, and I would you know sit down and I would watch it for a little bit and kind of mess around and and see what the scenes were like oh this movie's weird and now watching it i've watched it three times in the past week and this has to be one of my favorite movies of all time oh i'm so
0: glad i didn't know if you'd like kind of hate it or what I, i don't know it's one that's like it's impossible to gauge a reaction for because it's it's so strange. Um, yeah, Alex, preliminary reactions?
2: Um, I'm going to say that while I don't feel like I can say that it's one of my favorite films of all time, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, and I don't know if that says anything about myself. The reason I can't say it's one of my favorite films of all time is because I, I like dare not categorize it or quantify it in almost any way. I think it's a necessary film for every single human on earth to watch, and that's about it. That's all I could really say about it. I think it's an immense film.
0: Yeah, so this was directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky, who is a crazy man. And uh, not not that you would like know that by watching this movie at all, but um, he's in it. He made it in, or it was released in 1973. And you can go ahead and pause this and watch it if you want to, but I think equally you'll have a great time nonetheless, because we're going to go play by play with this one, because the, the scenes and the images are so fantastic that i think just describing them will elicit a lot of laughter and i want you guys to feel free to to butt in at any point i'll give you a chance in all the little beats so should we just jump right in oh yeah let's do it all right the holy fucking mountain so we open with a man in black and two blonde women and it's a symmetrical frame he rips their clothes off and cuts their hair Then we cut to psychedelic images of mandalas and weird art pieces like eyes and keys and aliens. What's going on here, guys? Oh man! So holy
1: mountain. Um, I I I was thinking the whole time. I was like, "This is a movie you were never meant to see," (laughs) and that's the kind of the way I was. I, I kind of. Walked through it the whole time, it's like this is a movie that people made to make a movie and make a make an art make an art piece more like so the first scene I mean, honestly, it was hard because when you first start this movie, you're kind of I feel like you're kind of stuck in this mode where you're trying to translate imagery, so the first scene. I always kind of went with like like this was like and some kind of obviously like all powerful or almighty creature. And you know, the fact that there's boobs within the first forty seconds <laughs> kind of dictates a, a good pacing of the movie as far as that visual goes.
0: Yeah, if you don't like uh if you don't like boobs and crotches and butts, yeah. Then in in, in glorious detail then this might not be the movie for you.
2: Yeah, if you don't like humanism in all its glory, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very raw. As as weird as it is, it's also quite raw. Um, so we go from this. We then begin our quote-unquote narrative. We cut to a guy who looks like Jesus. I'm just going to call him Jesus mm-hmm. from here on out. Perfect. He's, he's covered in flies and soiling himself yeah. and is surrounded by empty liquor bottles. There are tarot cards. Around him, of the crocodile on and and the fool, um, we have a shot of a tiger roaring, and a toad ribbiting, and then a quadriplegic midget shuffles towards our Mister Jesus.
1: A quadriplegic
0: uh, little person, amputee. Right. Yes. Is that does that do it? Do I have to say little person? No. <laughs> Am I being you, insensitive? No, okay. you don't. I was just <laughs> wanted to actually add the amputee part. Gotcha. No, no offense to anybody. Yeah, no. (laughs) I'm just going. I'm playing for comedy here. He
2: he's does seem to be. um, He has like a tarot card like strapped to his back or something I believe, or something pinned to him, and he also seems to be indigenous. I think that indigenous like cultures are important in analyzing this movie, so I just wanted to say that off the bat. Not trying to be offensive (laughs) to any indigenous midgets.
1: Did you think that they're the that um, <laughs> he immediately was the fool, or did you kind of interpret off the the tarot card on his back?
2: Oh, the we're talking about the the little man right now. Uh, yes, that's a great question. I don't even know if that was on my radar. I would love to hear what you guys had to say.
1: I just thought you know because you he had the crocodile and the fool, and I thought it was like the interpretation supposed to be that he was the fool the uh, quadriplegic kind of guide character or was hmm. was it the tarot card on his back which i actually don't remember quite now.
0: i have no idea okay. it, and it, it it points to like i've probably seen this movie a dozen times because it's one that when i find that someone hasn't watched it i'm like oh we have to watch this together but there's so much going on and the the level of weirdness and detail in every single frame is so rich that it's easy to pass by 90% of it in any viewing like you could pause this movie at any point and tease out like 50 different interpretations
1: definitely this movie is a lot like uh this movie's like a poem i felt like like a very comp- complex poem it seems like you can diagnose it scene for scene, almost like you can do a poem line for line. And it's uh, it was a very interesting way to film and digest film. Like an epic Which, poem, right? Exactly. Like it was something where like every line you're like, oh, okay, well, there's three interpretations I can go to f- just from this one scene, a lot like what Jesse said. And I, I feel like that's to the movie's credit it definitely has a couple turns away from that, like a deviation from that art craft. It's almost oh,
0: mo- it becomes so silly at some points, and,
1: and and it's almost like interpretive dance in movie form, which I really love interpretive dance, and and I really feel like this movie has a rhythm quite like that.
0: Simultaneous to the the poetry reading, I think it could also be adequately described as the spiritual journey of a madman.
1: Yeah, I could definitely agree with that.
0: It's like it's 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 a wild individual with a lot of thoughts and ideas finding himself um, through a movie. But uh, we'll get to that. So we have Jesus and our quadriplegic buddy and a swarm of naked boys with painted genitals run up to Jesus, pluck a flower from from his bloody palm and proceed to carry him. They tie him up on a cross and begin to pelt him with stones as both they, the boys, and the quadriplegic midget laugh. Jesus climbs off the cross and scares the kids away, but the midget lights up a really big doobie, passes it to, <laughs> mm-hmm. passes it to Jesus, starts licking his forehead a few times, and they become buddies.
1: Oh, man, this scene. So when I was writing my notes, I was looking through, uh, like, the way I was going to interpret each scene. So I started kind of going stream of consciousness on my notes because I thought it was just kind of the best way to do it. And on my notes it says, Little brown kid stone Jesus. Jesus goes super saiyan. Jesus sparks a joint with, Okay, she's licking him now. And (laughs) so it's just uh, a, a kind of a representation of how you can't quite get any respite in this movie from one frame to another let alone scene oh that's a great point yeah
2: that is like you there is no moment where you can like just be like okay going into the next scene it's just there
0: yeah it's just there because the very next shot we cut to them walking through a city and we see a truckload of dead bloody men being carted somewhere There's a line of women ironing bloody sheets that look suspiciously like the stains of deflowerment. Um, There's a firing squad which unloads on some young adults and a column of soldiers march through the streets carrying what looks like dead skinned dogs over their heads splayed out on crosses. So
2: this is where I like started to kind of dive into the who the director was like who made this movie. When I saw those crosses in the dogs, I, I needed to pause it and kind of start doing a little research outside of just what I was watching. And, you know, I, I learned that the filmmaker was Chilean. Um, he's like Chilean French, I believe. And the, the movie was primarily, I think, filmed in Mexico. However, at this time, there was a humongous turmoil of, like, politics going on in Chile. Uh, you had uh, Salvador Allende being killed and Augustine Pinochet who was like this fascist dictator being implemented right at like 1973, 1974. And the film came out at this time. Um, so I tried to you know, see if uh, there was anything like connective to that time in history and I failed <laughs> miserably. I just, I couldn't <laughs> find anything that would make any type of sense within the context of the film and then just needed to continue watching it. I love this. The ensuing scene, by the way, with the with the toads and the reptiles. But I'm sure we'll get to that. Oh,
0: we'll we'll get <laughs> yeah. to that.
1: Yeah, the this movie is a, like a kind of a representation of, I think, in the beginning at least, like almost man's struggle with the different aspects of religion. This movie is very. It's almost like a a love letter to religion and a, a massive massive critique of it at the same time, uh-huh. and. It, and it really perplexes me because it just ping-pongs me back and forth between these two thoughts, and it's just become so maddening at points when you're really <laughs> trying to establish a a, 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 a a horse in this game. You're like, all right, I'm trying to figure out like who am I rooting for, and it's like, no, you fool! Exactly. You know,
0: you always know that the movie's saying a lot of things, and you're almost never sure what they are. Exactly. So we have simultaneous to this, this, these scenes that we just painted for you. We have a bunch of rich white tourists who enjoy these sites immensely and take pictures. Uh, more students are shot and they bleed multicolored paint. And the tourists gleefully run up to photograph it. Birds fly out of the bullet wounds. A soldier publicly fornicates with a blonde woman while Jesus and the midget buddy who's on his back film it. And a guy gives him money.
1: Oh boy, this scene. Um, I kind of saw this as like war atrocities in the name of religion become like a Disneyland. Uh. Like these tourists are coming to this place where war crimes are filmed and spectated and uh, re- almost in the sense of like seeing a public spectacle, like being at Disneyland. Like this. All this mass hysteria. And I really think that the changing... There's this theme of the changing of the blood, the color. Like, there's only one scene where I think the connotation of blood being... Blood is paint, the whole movie. And then there's another scene later, which we'll get to, where it's the opposite. And I really like that. But I think if you change the color of the paint, it changes the... the the sting of the atrocity if everyone's bleeding like red and blue obvious paint it like takes away from it
0: birds fly out of the wounds Mm -hmm. yeah there's a weird commodification slash sanitization thing going on definitely i'm not exactly sure yeah some kind of critique the
2: face on the the tourist you know as he he hands the camera to jesus and the small man uh, he, he like he when he goes up he it's like he's taking a picture with those like you know those like little things at theme parks that have like the face cut out. Right. And you stick your face in or something. You're like, take a picture of me standing next to this or like, look, I'm next to Mickey mouse. Right. Um, you're next to, he's like going up next to the soldier that is fornicating with this blonde woman who still has the gold metal plate over her, you know, crotch. And it's like, it does now all make sense when you say commodification. Right. That makes sense. But, I wanted to say one thing about the birds flying out of the wounds. This movie does a great job with practical effects like that. I don't think it's like corny or anything. Even the paint and the blood. Like, it doesn't, you know that it's like fake, obviously, but it doesn't, I don't know. It was believable for me. I, I really liked
1: it. The effects in this movie are so beautiful, so intentional. Like I can't. There were times where I was almost awed by yeah. the level of detail they went into into some of the practical effects. It was really, really inspiring. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> it was really great. I was like, "Wow, this movie just like really the prop department yeah. really went over really went over the edge." Exactly with uh, how much they wanted to do this It was amazing.
0: Okay, so speaking of practical effects and amazing things. They then meet some French gypsies and a guy with a swastika top hat who are putting on a show called The Conquest of Mexico. Our little friend starts banging on a drum, and Jesus jumps around on all fours on the set, which looks like a 20 by 20 or so diorama of pyramids going quack quack quack, and thus commences one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history, where lizards... In little feathered costumes and adorable hats <laughs> with spears strapped to them, do battle with conquistador toads to the soundtrack of regal marching music as blood rains down from the pyramids onto this whole psychedelic menagerie. The pyramids then begin to explode, <laughs> and Jesus runs through the carnage, going gua gua. <laughs> thoughts oh i mean
2: seeing the little flailing toad toad arms and everything during the explosions and whatnot i'm not gonna go out and say that no amphibians or reptiles were harmed in the making of this film but it was worth it sorry <laughs> yeah i'm sorry it was worth it like <laughs> it's the greatest thing i've ever seen film
1: animal abuse <laughs> is taken quite liberally in this movie oh yes <laughs>
0: Is it is there is there more like is there anything like analogous to this to the rest?
1: Oh, we'll get we'll get to it when we uh, okay. get there. There is a little bit but I okay. love maybe a misremembering. I love that scene so much and I mean obviously you know we have I mean in my mind I looked at it as um you know the lizards are like Aztecs, you know, they have or um, Mayans, mm-hmm. they have this kind of this type of culture that has reverence for reptiles. And they have this grand city and this conquistador tribe of toads, which toads are like a plague. Whereas in reptiles, I don't believe are a plague. And so like this plague of like white colonization comes in. Mm-hmm. Maybe not white because I think it's Spanish.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's literally called the conquest of Mexico. Yeah.
1: I forgot
2: about the Nazi Mad Hatter as well. Just another little yeah. You know, like that was a
1: or... great. Nah, I just I called him a barker. I was a like, Nazi barker. <laughs> oh man.
0: Yeah, because none of none of what anyone says has or has spoken up to this point is dialogue. It's all just noises. Mm-hmm. People just make weird noises. That's that's a point.
2: Oh, definitely. I was yeah for the entire film.
0: Well, it it becomes it becomes dialogue after a little while, but but for this inaugural portion it's just noise. When I
2: first started, I was I was wondering to myself like is there a script here somewhere that like someone wrote out? And yeah, there is dialogue, but the dialogue does when it does get into dialogue, it helps it stand out very much so because it's still imbued with all of these uh actions and noises and things like that.
0: So then we cut to some enormous men in Roman costumes who are selling little Jesus dolls. And Jesus and his little buddy carry an enormous cross as tourists film them. The fat guy eats from an enormous roast cow and drinks vodka. Jesus joins them and chugs a whole bottle while one of the fat Romans kicks the midget for some reason. They, they carry the passed out Jesus into a warehouse full of yams, splay him out buck naked, and cover him in grease. They then insert breathing tubes into his nose and proceed to make a full body cast of him. Then they cast him onto a pile of yams and he falls asleep. <laughs> oh, I love
1: this movie so much. Um, well, I mean, you want to go ahead, Alex? Nah, you go ahead. Okay, I love it. It's just like it's like passing back and forth. You don't have yeah, to. I just keep going. Uh, no, no, no. I I want to go through every scene. Yeah, I, I think this movie deserves it. Um, for me, I think that was a lot about like um like the the printing and almost um the merchandising of religion. You know, how everyone mm-hmm. carries, like, the same type of crucifix or same type of cross in their house, and we print thousands of versions of the same type of Bible. They're the same edition. And I kind of think that that's where, at least where my interpretation of that scene was, where these Romans were like, they killed Jesus, but they're also, like, almost killing him again with this overproduction of his image.
0: Yeah, because he wakes up surrounded by a multitude of these casts of himself, which are life-size. And he begins screaming in agony and violently destroys all of them except for one. Which
2: we see him cradle later on, yeah.
1: Yeah, and he's laying on yams. And, in that, and yams at that time were a very uh,
0: lucrative... At what time?
1: Uh, I mean, at... At what time, you're right. Because <laughs> 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 I mean,
0: this movie is like, it's modern, is the thing. Yes,
1: you're right. I mean, there is no real time period dictated. It's just all over the place. But at, at a particular time in Africa and, and in Rome, um, there, I believe that yams were a uh, really lucrative crop. Like someone having a lot of yams was like being a rich person. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. So it, it's almost like this this barn full of f- just beautiful yams. It's like this just almost like laying on top of opulence. So it's like opulence mixed with production.
0: The opulence point also speaks to the fact that these are big, enormous, fat Romans mm-hmm. who are like feasting and drinking with abandon. It's
2: interesting, too, that they're making a profit off of someone who they wholly rejected and, you know, killed, right? I mean, based on, like, the story and whatnot. And now they're using those little images and dolls and whatnot to, like, I I, I don't know, it's just interesting to be the killer and then to be like, buy this in remembrance. I don't know.
0: Something's going on. (laughs) Yeah, So
2: something is going on in this film.
0: So after Jesus wakes up surrounded by these casts and destroys them, we cut to a bunch of prostitutes and a chimpanzee who walk out of a church and begin soliciting men. One of the girls is like maybe 10 years old, and an old man beckons her over, kisses her hand, and takes out one of his eyes and gives it to her. Jesus walks up, and one of the prostitutes is smitten with him, and they and the monkey follow him, and we have a nice interlude of young men slow dancing with soldiers.
1: Uh huh. Oh boy. Um. So
0: I love how after every <laughs> every little <laughs> sequence, it starts with Jeff being like, "Oh boy," or "Oh man." <laughs> uh, sorry. It's
1: like it's like a. W- it's my way. I like to mentally prepare to explain and the way I interpreted these scenes because it's so mind-boggling. I've seen this movie three times now. Um, did uh, yeah. So this scene is wild to me because first off, I want to talk about the monkey. Are we are we making is, is is some kind of evolution point trying to be made here? I think. Can we agree on that?
0: I have no. Idea.
2: I mean it's the only thing i could grasp
1: because the monkey is pretty persistent in the whole film and i just thought it would be interesting if that wasn't the point being made it's just like no we just had access to a monkey and we were like fuck it put I, it in the movie
0: <laughs> i like to think that that's the answer to be honest or, like we have this monkey it's a trained monkey like how can we just incorporate it throughout the movie for the sake of weirdness and like comedy so like This, I mean, we'll see. We'll end up seeing that this this prostitute that falls in love with Jesus shadows him throughout the whole film. But she's she's always with the monkey. She's holding hands with the monkey.
1: So was was that? So I there were twelve prostitutes, right?
0: Oh, I didn't count. So
1: I counted. So yeah, so there were twelve prostitutes. So it it was. They were the disciples, or at least an interpretation of the disciples, because. Mary, people call Mary, like certain interpretations of Mary are uh, a prostitute. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's like a kind of a reverse on itself where they're saying, well, no, fuck that. All of the saints were prostitutes to some degree or another and Mm -hmm. that they all kind of learned something in their own way and then had like departed from Jesus as stronger people, except Mary who was left over and that's Mary with the monkey. So that's why I thought that that was kind of a weird addition, the monkey. Cause it's almost like, okay, well you have Mary and Jesus and like that lineage, but you also have evolution as this kind of greater than less than situation going on where it's like, well, which is it? Because it never leaves Mary's hand. It's almost like a child that follows her around.
0: Or maybe, or maybe she's addicted to Jesus and we have a literal interpretation of the monkey on her back.
1: That, I mean, that would be very, very...
0: Probably not true. Very Very on on the nose.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I mean...
0: (laughs) But like, this movie, for all its subtlety, is often not subtle, is the thing. It's highly highly absurd we haven't even gotten to like a, a a small measure of the absurdity that this film traffics in. we are just but. cracking
1: open the seal of the desiccated tuna can that is this movie <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh,
2: i was That's gonna say mean. i was gonna say i mean it is it's called The Holy Mountain. You have to start somewhere right before you start getting to the levels and heights of insanity that it, it it does. But it's there, and you can feel it when you stand at the base of the mountain. You know that it's tall, and this film certainly portrays that.
0: I mean, Alex, you described this as uh, like having your mouth open the whole time mm-hmm. you're watching a movie and your brain having its mouth open. Mm-hmm. And even though it gets wee- far weirder than this later... It's still just, like, the weirdest thing while you're watching it. Like, nothing else you've seen compares.
2: The only thing weirder than the opening scenes of this film are every scene that follows, right? <laughs> like, it's... I wanted to say one thing about the monkey, though. I mean, no, knowing the amount of animals that they used in the film, maybe the the toad guy was like, I, I have a chimp, you know, if you guys want to rent him as well. <laughs> So, uh, there's almost no way to explain the symbol of the chimp to me, other than it was on set.
1: Yeah, this was a type of movie where art was being put onto film, and it's for interpretation. And some of it is just splashes of paint in the corner that happened to land that way, and some of it's actual brushstrokes. And depending on the person looking at it is what part of that is art and what isn't what's just accidental.
0: That's a good description. So <clears throat> Jesus walks into a church, wakes up a guy in a Pope hat who is cuddling with a life-size Jesus who makes noises at him and kicks him out. Um, Jesus then begins to eat his own face or rather, the face of the cast of him that he's been carrying around this whole time, which is apparently made out of cake. Um, yeah, maybe I'll stop there. Yes, because that halt. That, that yes, <laughs> you spoke a
1: falsehood, <laughs> my friend. It, mm. it wasn't cake; it was marzipan.
2: Yeah, oh. <laughs> it. Oh, well, I Forgive saw it and, me, and I master. knew, and I knew it was marzipan. It, I could taste that scene.
1: It, that that was hundred percent marzipan, Jesus.
0: What's the what's the difference?
1: Marzipan is uh, almond. It's it's like ground almonds with a very dense. Yeah, it's very dense, it's, very moist and it's uh yeah, malleable. It's, a, it's an almond paste.
2: It's used a lot when they make cakes and desserts and pastries that they want to like make into something. Like it's mm-hmm. a very structurally sound baking material that you can morph into Jesus <laughs> and have your actor rip its face off and Almost, like, none of the practical effect integrity will break down (laughs) because it's just such a dense material. But um, that, I was going to say, this scene might be one of the most, like, you were saying, Jesse, you know, like, this movie is very on the nose and in your face, but also not. I think this whole idea here with the religion and the the man sleeping in the bed and the worms eating away at the, the book at the altar, that was, like, really... Strong for me, that symbol. I was like very clear, and I was like, okay, I, I think I get what's going on here.
0: Yeah, you're like, okay, Catholics use Jesus, and like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) He's
1: literally eating of his own body. Yeah, just like with the you know, eat of my body with the wafers. He's eating of his own body of this
0: like decadence of his of his visage. Well, there's there's two things going on here that we're flitting back and forth between. One is the, the the sort of Catholic bishop who's like cuddling with Jesus with the the maggoty book, and then there's the Jesus eating his own face after this Pope who like quacks at him, kicks yeah. him out.
1: Well, yeah, it's the it's the sin of modern Catholicism. It's he this this sleeping with Jesus like he's a lover. This, I, yeah. this rotting from the inside out of the Bible. I mean, this movie is a, a very hard declaration against Catholicism. I feel at times sometimes. And then it, it shows you. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it just sometimes feels like it also is in love with God mm-hmm. and with Jesus, and it's this like kind of eternal struggle back and forth between like. Hey, there are some. There's some promise in the Eastern religions and the other gods, and there's also some promise in Christ. But this scene in particular, I feel, is Christ's own disillusion with what has become of his image, and he's basically casting it aside. Like I'm done. And I, I felt like that was a very poignant part of the movie.
2: It's it, it admonishes the institutional, the hegemonic, you know the the big corporate feel of what the religion has grown into. And it really seems to champion the, the simple or the pious, you know, the simply pious or the poor and like the true spiritual essence of the religion, right? Like almost very much like this idea of the history of Buddha. You know, he was a very rich person in India. He lived in his family and he went outside in the world and saw death and disease and destruction. And he like, he was like, who is the most holy? Is it the people who hang out in their robes in the church and the temples? Or is it this old crazy man on the side of the road? Right? Like and I think that this movie is really keying on in on that aspect.
0: Yeah. I I love those readings. I couldn't have said it better myself. So then we cut to where we cut to where we met Jesus, who's back um where we first saw him. And both the naked children from the beginning and the prostitutes watch Jesus tie the replica of him in balloons and give it up to the sky. I mean, yeah, we got
1: some pretty clear symbolism here. You know, there's this just kind of this this letting go, this almost childish letting go of religion, which is I think what a lot of, of us do. We you know, we we're religious for a time and then Once we get older, we kind of as we let our childhood go, go we also let go of like you know Christ.
0: Yeah, letting go, letting go is a great point. Um, It speaks to the disillusionment that uh, you see engendered within him from the last couple of scenes as well.
2: Yeah, you know, and I think that like the attentiveness from the children who are wearing little leaves, I think, or on their crotches, or their crotches are painted like green or something um it like it kind of goes into this idea of like the garden of eden you know they like hid their genitals with the the leaves but oh, I, think, I didn't
0: even think of that there's so much going I know, on here. I like, know. Why, right? are, why are their where are their genitals painted green oh, i don't know let's move on <laughs> right <laughs>
2: um i loved how like everyone who's following him the the prostitutes after are like in this trance right and once he lets go of like the fake jesus it's like you will know when something really true and spiritual presents itself to you, right? You don't need the giant books and the, and the get a tree and the, all the accoutrements of church to tell you what is holy and what is not. When a man presents himself in this manner, you will know. And they're like f- in this trance because it's just so purely spiritual that they follow him, I think, to the plaza, which is maybe the next scene without jumping too far ahead.
0: no that is the next scene we go to as alex says a plaza and jesus ascends on a hook a very large like fishing hook to some sort of sky temple while the 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 prostitute and the monkey look on having ascended he makes his way through a red spherical chamber and bursts through a thin sheet into a domed room painted like a rainbow
1: this scene was (laughs) i mean the scene was so indicative of like the critique of art i felt like i know that's such a stretch it's like but this idea of like being hooked into this world and, and and pulled into this idea of like superiority of art superiority of color and paint and i I just got this strong feeling of like just fractured painter or or
0: somehow somebody who is at odds with what they create see this is what i teased from it obviously whenever there's an ascent in a movie like this it's very symbolic if Mm -hmm. it's a good movie you know like a, a popular example is Neo being lifted out of the waters in the Matrix after he's birthed from the machine. Uh-huh. And so some, something similar is happening here where he's ascending to a new reality. And then this spherical room that he goes through, wh- whose terminus is like this orifice that he has to like, cut through, is very like vaginal. It's very birth-oriented. So it's like possibly analogous to what you were saying jeff is that as he's being birthed into a new world which is an ascended place from where he's come from
1: yeah it's
2: very penetrative
1: yeah it's very claustrophobic those scenes and and withdrawn and the score is very muted and, and it's using very much just like diegetic sound i just I don't know, that scene was very smooth. It was one of the smoothest parts of the movie. It's almost like a bit of... it. it as much respite as this movie can provide, I think, was that kind of sequence.
2: Is this the point too? if we're going to say the world that we have been introduced to so far is like the introductory world or the real world? I don't even... I don't want to say the real world in concern to this movie, but this is the moment, right, where... We're just taken out of that and his like journey begins in a totally new plane. Right? That's this point. Yeah, yes, well
0: it's definitely okay. it's especially if you take into consideration the spatial dimensions of things. Um, because what he ascends is this tower that's just on a street and it's it's big, but it's not it doesn't look like it would have enormous interiority. Mm-hmm. But but once he gets up there, it's like he moves through this passage that just itself would have been completely impossible looking at the dimensions of this building not to mention all of the other rooms that we end up going into within this building so it's very much like a space inside of a space i don't know it's very house of leaves if anyone gets that reference
1: it's almost like the branching idea of like expanding your mind instead of being on this like one track path. Like the Christianity can be or Catholicism, it's it's almost like when like it has very art student. I'm sorry to bring this theme back, but it just has a very art student vibe when you're thinking of when you're in college and you're starting to really explore like different ideas and different religions and different pathways. So it's like this multi branching thought
0: pattern. Mm-hmm. Well yeah, let's 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 trace that because all these things that you're saying tie into what's to come. So within this, this rainbow room is a woman who is nude and tattooed and also a massive camel and a guy who we'll call the guru who looks like Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Yes. Like I Tristan have that White.
1: on my fucking
0: notes. <laughs> <laughs> um That's yeah perfect. he's sitting he's sitting on a throne made of stuffed goats who by the way have huge balls we mm-hmm. make sure you know this through use of a close-up um and also worthy of note this this is the director oh wow really yeah the the guru is the director
1: that is quite impressive to be honest i mean i'm actually not gonna lie that's really impressive
2: how could you not throw yourself in and to be part of this just beast that you're creating right i would want to do it i'd be like fuck it i'm in the movie now yeah <laughs> i need point. to be part yeah. of this
0: <laughs> we'll we'll see that there's like a meta element at at a, at a point that comes in but it's it's safe to say that Jordorowski made this film as like representative of his own personal absurd journey to find himself so it's it's somewhat apropos that he is the one to lead what we'll find as as a cast of characters to the holy mountain so jesus attacks the monk with a knife but is easily defeated the monk taps on his pressure points um and the lady who has nails like Wolverine's claws cuts into his neck and extracts some sort of long blue parasite, and the monk then asks Jesus if he wants gold
1: yeah, I mean this jeez, oh, the scene is to defini- get this gold <laughs> I think this scene is definitely like a, you know, the extraction of the parasite of. He's an interpretation of modern religion that's where I got from oh,
2: that. yeah, that's a great point, even if it's not religion, maybe just like the infection of whatever world he just came from right in Infa- yes, like, they yes. need to clean him after this as well. It's like this cleansing period,
1: yes, yeah, it's almost like if an alien were to pick you up, you would have to be like sterilized to their conditions because yeah. you may have like bacteria on you, so it's almost like the removal of that realities place in your body i like that point
0: we then begin the process of making gold which is uh, a hell of a scene Dude, this is they... one of, this is one of my
1: favorites this is the scene i walked in on many times
0: yeah, they wash. They wash him in a fountain where little hippo is just chilling out. Uh-huh. And I mean, they they really wash him. Uh-huh. They get right into that butt crack, and you get to witness it in all its glory. Can
1: I pause for you real quick? So that's you scene, absolutely can. <laughs> so that scene, all right. So when he's just kind of stretching around in that water with his loin cloth on. He's he bends over a few times and I was like, damn dude, this guy's got a really stained ass crack, and I'm not even joking <laughs> you at all. I was like, I was like, this actor like he didn't like bleach his ass crack for this movie. Like I don't understand why you wouldn't do it. It's just so brown and stained. And then they thoroughly wash his ass crack later, and I remember them standing up, and I was like, yeah, like I got into. It. I was like, yeah, you washed that ass crack. <laughs> it the,
2: the movie like cures the itch in that moment right cuz you're uh, like something needs to be done about this and the movie is like here you go but it's like
1: <laughs> but no it's more like the absurdism of the movie it can it's never more than the bounds of your imagination is the point i'm trying to make with this yeah yeah it's like i'm like oh dude this guy's got a dirty ass crack and the movie's like i'll take care of that for you and it's like yeah. what, <laughs> what what is this movie uh, <laughs> what is this movie
0: indeed they then enter another rainbow room where a stork is wandering around, and Jesus takes a big steamy dump into a glass pot. Uh-huh. By the way, if you don't like seeing boobs and, and mandongs and things of this nature on full display at all times, bears reiteration that this is probably not the movie for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway... Raiden, or our guru, <laughs> then places the poop pot into some sort of alembic or alchemical majiggy, I'm not precisely sure, as his naked warrior lady plays the oboe and the stork meanders around. <laughs> 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 oh, just reading this, I couldn't resist the laughter. Uh. Jesus, Jesus is placed in some sort of glass chamber as his man waist is burned which is a really sexy shot Mm -hmm. and the smoke fills his glass chamber which gets him high and then sick and all of his sweat is collected into another receptacle which is added to the sizzling waste mixture which then finally turns into a lump of gold thoughts
1: yeah many Alex you want to start
2: (laughs) Um, I was asked you know when we were talking about this movie a little bit, Jesse asked me if I could put any scene or force anyone to watch this and smell-o-vision. And of course, <laughs> this has to be the scene, right? I mean, to be in the room at the time of this crazy concoction would just be madness. Um, but going back to probably my favorite thing about this film is the practical effects. I loved watching the chemical change of the substance. Like, it, it, it it's smoky. You have foaming bubbles coming out of it, and then it turns into like this weird, glowing, like colorful petri dish, and then it turns like into a crystal at some point, and then you get into the gold. And just, ugh, I just love the way this movie is edited and filmed to accentuate its practical effects. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's also, this is the part where you start to really key in on. Uh, what the movie is about if you could say if you could distill it because um, because this this is the first line or one of the first lines of actual dialogue in the movie where he says your excrement you can turn yourself into gold so it's this this idea of self-manifestation that that tracks throughout the rest of the film I really like that read. I really saw that differently,
1: but I really like I think mm. that read I think that read tracks a lot more with the uh themes that are being presented so far. I kind of saw it as like the one like a, the one last big overall representation of why Jesus is leaving this like type of uh ideology behind. It's like they 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 take all the worst parts of him the excrement all of the hatred and the and the condemnation and then they distill it they distill it down into something like a cause and they and they torture people with it they almost torture christ with it and then they extract from him the gold whatever they want from the culture the civilization that they want to colonize or take a part of uh and, and that's what's kind of, I thought that's kind of what I saw represented in that cycle.
0: It's worth noting as well that, with apropos the tarot card that we see at the beginning that says the thief, we call him Jesus because he looks like Jesus. And there's a lot of obvious Jesus stuff, but this is not directly a correlation of Jesus. In fact, in the script, he's his character's name is The Thief. So there's more to him than just Jesus. That mm. is an interesting
1: take. I did not know that. Yeah. I really, I really kind of put my, I, I, I hitched my bag on him being kind of the direct representation of Christ. So a lot of my, my reading of it kind of took on that that edge or that flair.
0: Well, that's. I mean, there's a lot to support that reading and. Uh, f- like obviously so so you're not invalidated at all i'm just saying that there's a there's a little bit more dimensionality to it for there's, sure yeah. i was
2: there is without getting too far ahead there are scenes later on i guess that the, the name the thief makes perfect sense i didn't know that yeah, as well indeed.
0: though that
1: adds a lot of context so i appreciate that yeah
0: jesus and our guru then change into pilgrim outfits and walk around a room filled with glass and mirrors It's a very psychedelic, almost fractally image. They sit by a pointed stone, and Jesus tries to break it with an axe and fails. The guru, however, effortlessly cracks it by hitting it at the top, revealing a ball of glass, and says, Each stone is a soul formed by the work of millions of years.
1: This one was rough. This was a hard one for me. I do want to say that in the beginning, I I kind of dropped the Raiden persona, and it kind of felt like they were, when they both kind of joined in their outfits, that it was like, they were both like Jared Leto, like it was like a Jared Leto school, because of like, <laughs> the, because of like the way that they dressed, with like the big pointy, wide brimmed hats, mm-hmm. and like the like, like the like kind of bicolor uh, palette, I don't know, it was just, it was very funny. Is that
0: a... Is that a Fight Club reference?
1: No, no, it's like his
2: personal what? style. Like if you see pictures Jared of Jared Leto, the really, actor.
1: Yeah. 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 He's very like, that's just like, if you see pictures of him, that's like his style is he has this oh. like, he has this cult and he wears like these like big hats. He like takes the Johnny Depp's thing to another level. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I didn't know that. It, di- it didn't land. Cut it out. Um, so. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, th- I really think that that scene was the most, one of the more complex to interpret in the movie. I mean, it is,
2: it's this idea, I guess, if you know, of, like, obviously, there's the master, the guru, and the learner, right? He's, like, trying really hard to break it, and then in just one fell swoop, right, without, like, out even applying any energy, the guru just splits the stone, but, I mean, you get to all these metaphors, where it's, like, it could be the pearl inside of, you know, the shell of the clam, or the oyster, excuse me, and it's, like, there's something hidden that needs to be unearthed. The more important thing to me was the clearness of the glass ball, right? It's like, without all of this stone, you have this pure soul that is not informed by millions of years, if that makes sense. I mean, it's so directly said, but when the movie speaks, it's almost like, oh, okay, I need to to pay attention to what you're saying, because you're keying me in on what the symbolism means. But that's what I got out of it. Just the breaking through into some core, clearness or pureness that is inside all of us
0: so we then move to the tarot room where huge cards frame a circular wall around them and they sit in the middle of a triangular mandala and shout out to the camera in this shot because it's suspended directly above them and spins around and it's it's gorgeous mm, and yeah. the accompanying soundtrack can only be described as like evocative tribal humming with some sort of acoustic accompaniment and it is super psychedelic and very engaging.
1: Can I say
0: Jesse just for a
1: second how much I love your interpretation and when it aligns with mine like I love that uh, for anyone but just like I, I, I saw that spinning camera and it made me so happy. I don't know what about it was when I saw it, I was like, that was such a brilliant piece of camera work that just totally went by the wayside. And I'm just so happy that you like noticed that. Cause I just really thought like, that, that, that must have been difficult to pull off. It almost gave it like a, like an animated look as the camera was settling back
0: down again. It's it's otherworldly. It's something you would see if you closed your eyes on like acid or something. It's like it's so perfectly symmetrically framed and the the complex rune or mandala in the center which is like eye-shaped I believe mm-hmm. is just spinning in this 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 way that's completely entrancing.
2: It's the kind of thing that would make Kubrick like cream his pants, right? I mean, that scene is The spinning camera and the symmetrical nature of that scene is the camera work is amazing for as practical as it is. It's so focused and so highly choreographed, I guess, um, that it just it makes for a very clean viewing experience for as crazy as the narrative is.
0: For as strange as this movie is, it's impeccably shot. Exactly. You cannot (laughs) you can't fault the filmmaking at all.
1: Yeah, I was going to just comment on that. Like the idea of this kind of circular room, that that scene has this dynamic camera work that's not really represented in any other part of the movie beyond just the spinning camera. It does a lot of these low sweeping shots or like just low angle shots, and I really think I see a lot of just like I mean, I don't think they are references to Holy Mountain. They could be. But in, like, Hero, in the scene where he's in the room full of um, scrolls, or in Shadow, when they're in, like, the, the cave of falling water, it was like, a lot of these, like, kung fu movies. That had It's just the same aesthetic to it. It's this, like, circular room of, like, beauty. Like, that scene was the one scene that really tipped my favor into this movie where I... I kind of saw it beyond like, okay, this is just a painting where it's like, oh, this movie can also be like a watercolor.
0: Yeah.
2: I don't know the color palette and the, the construction of the movie are very, I, I think the comparison to the Kung Fu movies in the Asian, like filmmaking around the time is actually really apt. Cause that was a, that's like a big part of their, of their filmmaking technique. Right. Is like, it's a very visually pleasing movie just to watch the narratives in some of the Kung Fu movies are like, not super deep or anything like that, but it's just a beautiful film to experience and watch very much. So like, like the Holy mountain.
0: Yeah. So the cards themselves that surround the room are something that are, that's straight out of Salvador Dali. They're <laughs> crazy. I don't even, I didn't even write it down because I like my powers of description, We're taxed, (laughs) but he lays Jesus on the ground and puts a wooden staff between his legs and says, to know, he lays a sword under his arm and says, to dare, he puts a chalice by the sword and says, to want, and places a golden pentagram on his head and says, to be silent
1: oh boy sometimes <laughs> in this movie i honest sorry i honestly felt like sometimes in this movie i'm at like my i'm like interpreting my like art history final yeah <laughs> with some of the with a, some some of the totally scenes. yeah i mean this is like this is such a just highly metaphorical scene to quote our favorite uh our line, our favorite <laughs> yes. line <of> parasite <laughs> um it's just it's such a metaphorical scene it's such a it's like what are we doing here are we equipping Jesus with the tools he needs to or equipping the thief with the tools he needs to to conquer whatever the challenges may arise next are these symb- are these symbols of kings or symbols of leaders you know the chalice being the king the sword the general what are we what are the symbols trying to represent or are we just kind of looking at it on as a whole, as a single piece, a completed work, almost like a sculpture.
2: I don't know. I was looking more at the, maybe the material of each item, but I mean, obviously I should have been looking at like what each item represents, I guess. And the, the lines of that follow it, to know, to dare. And what was the third one,
0: Jesse? To want to- and to be silent. Okay,
2: yeah, so I don't know. I'm, I might have to just leave this one up
1: yeah. for the, to the gods.
0: <laughs> uh yeah or just i'm just throwing it out there seeing what comes back <laughs> i have
1: a i have a lot of those i have gaps in my notes where i just had to stop taking notes and watch the film yeah even after the third watch i was like i, I just need to watch this scene
0: yeah so then we enter another cyclical room with an eye in the center of the floor with some strange symbols and naked mannequins on the walls which we learn shortly are representations of the crazy characters and seems scenes to come but before that um just a quick word from our sponsor this week we're brought to you by uncle touchy's flaccidity serum (laughs) there are an enormous variety of products as you're no doubt aware that seek to give the discerning gentleman a little pep into his step, trouser-wise. But what if you need the opposite? Are you getting pesky boners in science class? Or maybe you're trying to watch the holy mountain with some buddies, and the sight of all those wanguses and lady boobs engender just a bit too much arousal. In any case, the possibility of embarrassment is not to be discounted. Whatever the scenario, if you face this common problem, Uncle Touchy's Flaccidity Serum is for you. It comes in bottles small enough to fit right in your pocket, works instantly, and features a variety of flavors from wiggly watermelon to overstimulated orange. If you go right now to UncleTouchy.edu and enter the promo code WEIRDO, you can get up to 3% off your first palette of flaccidity Serum. Wow, I mean, what are you waiting for? That's uncletouchy.edu, promo code weirdo. Now let's get back to this podcast. So we have these characters that we are going to go into one at a time, as the film does. Jeff, would you like to tell us about Fawn, whose planet is Venus? I would love to tell you about one of these
1: seemingly ridiculous to begin with characters that then become... Seemingly mundane. <laughs> um, so Fawn, Fawn, and Venus. So we all know God. I was trying. To, so I was trying to create uh, connections with this. I was like, okay, Venus, Venus. We have in Roman mythology as you know, uh, planet goddess of love. Uh, we kind of Aphrodite's um, double as far as Greek goes and like we're thinking of Adonis's, So there's a lot of like emphasis on um, beauty and superficial desire um, dedicated to things of comfort was, was Fawn's world and he was a almost a corporate CEO. It was almost like the unification of corporate greed in, in religious context, and that is the best way I can try to describe the, f- the framing of this.
0: Yeah, so what's the scene?
1: So the scene is, I mean, it's kind of hard for me because I can't...
0: What, oh, what oh. happens?
1: Basically, you like are introduced to Fawn in this factory, I believe, that is dedicated towards... The production of things of comfort and that's kind of what he describes them as and for me it was kind of hard to go to go by this scene for scene because my memory is just a little foggy when it comes to that but it's this kind of representation of love in an industrial sense if i can kind of put it in that in that way
0: yeah he um he makes love to his wives only during working hours, yes. which is an important point. Mm-hmm. Yes. They make they make artificial faces and they do articulated roboticized corpses who can do things like uh do a little dance, like like almost like a puppet or a jack in the box coming out of the grave and like sing a song or, or do other things or even give you an erotic dance. Um I have I have written here Alex perhaps you can describe this moist for yes and dry for no. Yes. Oh my god.
2: <laughs> um is this like the the cat like the the faces on the conveyor belt
0: part? No, he um I believe it's oh god, I should have written it down completely. But uh he, he oh yes he's speaking like his, to the old his couple father, yes his father runs the corporation and as for business decisions mm-hmm. he puts his hand into the mother's vagina and if it's yes or if it's moist then the answer is yes for the business decision if it's dry then no and the mother is also a corpse
2: i did remember that actually Yes, so he's sitting in like a wheelchair. They're sitting in a wheelchair and they're surrounded by his wives. And you see him do exactly what you just said. And I believe that the answer at the time was dry. So whatever answer was being discussed, <laughs> it was no. Point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I just, yeah, there's overtones of male dominance and reverence of the male form beyond just, like, this, like, female reproductive cycle where he has all these wives and, the, it's like, half of them are pregnant and it seems like getting them pregnant is kind of the intention of this, like, this constant reproduction of the male line and uh, the male line, whether, whether it be the genetic line or the line of the factory,
0: so our next character is Isla, who is whose planet is Mars. Yes, Alex, you want to tell us about Isla? So,
2: going off of kind of tailing off of what Jeff just said in about male dominance, Mars and Isla are very much the opposite. They are like you just there's like female empowerment just oozing out of almost every scene that takes place on Mars. Um, We are introduced to a jet black steel-like pyramid with a very, like, 1980s coke den modern bed look to it. And behind the bed is a picture of presumably two women squeezing each other's nipples. And it's just the lower shot of that painting. And the nipples light up. There's, like, a little LED light implanted into the painting. Then we see a stumped woman in some type of uniform wake up Isla, who is in bed in a coffin-like container that slides down with three dogs, the breed of which I do not know at the top of my head, and two women with shaved heads. Now, I could not tell if these women were the ones that were shaved at the beginning of the film, um i don't think so but they very no, well i don't believe okay so. so we see isla wake up and go through kind of her morning routine she dresses herself um and then we see her in this business suit a purple business suit and her two minions that were asleep with her walk into a room that again we get this camera shot from above that goes down onto the stack of like or this this recessed, like, hay or, like, cloth kind of. Um, uh,
0: it's it's a male orgy pit surrounded by, by geese.
2: And you see her kind of, like, stand over it for a moment and stare down upon them, which kind of accentuates this idea of, like, female power. I must note now, going back to making the connections to, you know, Grecian and, and Roman mythology, it is very much... Keyed in on this idea of Mars is part of war. Mars is a representative of war. And what Isla does is she makes the weapons for the war. And you see tests of bayonets of men just running countlessly into the ends of these bayonets to test the weapons. And then maybe my favorite part of the entire movie, you see the factory of where she makes the weapons and how she is diverse in her clientele you learn that she makes weapons for all types of walks of life i would say she makes rock and roll weapons she makes disco shotguns and guitar repeaters she also makes weapons for any type of religious persuasion so if you're looking to down someone with your gun-laden menorah she has that for you And she also has a crucifix with Jesus on it and a revolver that sticks out of the belly of Buddha and surely brings enlightenment to whoever you hit with it. Uh, And then it cuts very quickly after showing you the weapons that she makes and I believe we move on into the next planet.
0: We do, but there's, there's one amazing part where she has a production line of a drug that turns people into wild beasts where we see another midget, uh, oh, yes, with no arms wearing <laughs> a military helmet destroying a porcelain man with his feet while screaming wildly. Mm hmm. Which is, which is a weird little in the shot. alleyway. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but basically, we, we deduce that she is the war, the actual like war production unit. Um, and that's what she is the boss of. Very feminine, very glitzy, and just very cool props in the whole, the whole segment.
0: Yeah, so what were your thoughts as we are jumping? Like, we've basically left our narrative and are in these completely different places in the world with these characters. What were your thoughts?
2: I, I was actually very comfortable with it, I believe, because of the way that it was set up with the guru in the tower in the turret room um you know you you see the spinning uh like effigies wax effigies of all these people spinning around and you go into each one being like i'm fawn my planet is venus i'm isla my planet is mars right like this (laughs) as far as it departing from the narrative that already kind of happened when he was pulled up by the giant fish hook for me so it was like i was ready (laughs) to go into this you know realm
0: well our next planet is Jupiter, and the character is Klen. Jeff, do you want to describe this sequence for us? Sure. Um, so this one, where uh, I think, kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier with,
1: like, uh, being dissociated or uh, disillusioned to the art world. We have um, Berg, and his planet is Uranus, and uh, he is... This is Klen. Sorry. Oh, this is Clen Jupiter. Sorry, I looked I, yeah. looked. I looked forward to my notes. Sorry, Clen and Jupiter. And when I was watching this, I was trying to put like a tie into each of these characters. Like, are they the seven deadly sins? Like, it's Fawn Pride and this Clen Lust. I, I'm not quite sure. But so you we we begin the scene with this this man who awakes in this this mansion of like what's supposed to be opulence. But isn't it's it's almost like a kind of like I, I don't know like a dilapidated mansion, but it's like the sense of reality is supposed to be imposed upon it, and he's very dis tries to kiss his very dissociated wife, who rebukes him, and instead results to this kind of extended uh, sequence of drug use, adultery, and debauchery, and. I mean there's this kind of these themes of the industrial industrialization of sex in this as this like reproduction and reprinting of art and 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 sex and women and drugs it's, it's just this constant feed of a positive stimuli
0: yeah well so we we have we have him and his lover putting drugs into each other's ears in the car mm-hmm. and for some reason, there's this weird shot that lasts for about half a second of a suffocating goldfish. I, didn't, I have. I didn't even catch that. No idea why. But the art factory is amazing. You have you have painted butts mm-hmm. being shoved onto canvases. You have painted body installations with with dongs and boobs and butts. You have that nice anal tickling shot.
2: <laughs> I wanted to say one of the extras in the butt hand painting, like the butt painting scene one of those extras was just like machine like he was perfect he could sense when every canvas was right under his butt and didn't even have to look back some of the other extras are like looking back to see when the canvases is moved and i just want to know how they directed
0: this guy oh, like <laughs> i love this movie this movie's wonderful yeah. on my
1: notes i have the words thank god for extras written down because <laughs> this movie like it, it dies on like extras so many people agreed to be in this this insanity
0: yeah and then we have the love machine alex you were talking to me earlier about the love machine do you want to give your thoughts on this
2: i I just thought that it was so uh uh,
0: i don't know i just thought what what happens
2: so a police officer or a like a guard of some type is instructed by um Uh, the guy who, Glenn, Glenn, who runs this planet, to try and, you know, simulate sex, penetrative sex on this machine-like vulva vagina. and after Which is huge, uh, by the way. It's a huge problem. It's bigger than any of the the actors in the scene. It towers above them by at least two feet. And after failing miserably, uh, the machine rejects him and will not open. And then Glenn hands the phallic device to his lady assistant (laughs) and she is unable to unlock the mystery of the feminine genitalia
0: well she no she does it perfectly she completely she completely disrobes and brings the machine to orgasm after which some like batter spills out and then we cut to the machine rocking a tiny baby machine with crying noises. And uh, if your brain hasn't exploded yet watching this movie, then props to you.
2: All practical. Again, this is an actual all, machine. All
0: practical <laughs> effects.
1: <laughs> this was like kind of like my issue. is, I have a hard time describing this movie scene for scene because part of my brain needs to look at it as like a, a readable piece of poetry or material cuz otherwise it just becomes white noise it just becomes like brain fuzz because there's just so much stimuli going on
0: yeah that's that's fair um so we move on to cell whose planet is saturn yes Mr.
2: alex so cell it's interesting, is in relation to Mars, but Saturn seems to be the place where whatever this society is that we exist in, there's some type of order, right? There's like a governmental order.
0: Let me make a note here is that these are not other planets. These are like titans of industry on the same planet Mm, they're they're just like their planet is saturn much like your star sign is something Ah. so i I oh wow i probably didn't pick up on that until like my third or fourth viewing because i was just so you know like Jeff says, overstimulated. But yeah, these are not actual other planets, although it's it's very easy to mistake.
2: Them. I needed that then, because that makes much more... Ooh, that changes yeah. a
1: lot of my interpretations. Yeah.
2: Okay, because I thought we were in maybe like a type of world where we have advanced into like implementing certain industries actually on ha- habitable parts of like terraformed planets in our solar system. But see, I
1: thought I thought we were assembling like the, the Snyder cut Justice League of like, <laughs> of, of the Godheads of industry. Okay, yeah. Like that, that piece of
2: context then Jesse makes perfect sense. Um, so like
1: Jesus has ascended and now like you're gonna meet all the other gods yeah, who have ascended. Exactly. And it's and it's the real world ascended gods. <laughs> That's a good reading too, though. Man.
2: Um so Cell and Saturn are the place where they seem to engender a militaristic, almost Spartan-like attitude in the youth. Um, She's in charge of what they call toy making, and I believe like propaganda for what they teach um, the youth. And she appears at the beginning of this segment in this like, almost like a parade outside of this gated building and she's dressed like an like a rag doll, like a annie like ragdoll with like yarn for hair and her face is painted all childlike and you have again the appearance of a lot of little people dressed as santa following her around you know to accentuate the toy thing um and then she then walks into this procession on an elephant and kind of like goes up to this opera-looking kind of house, like this factory-looking thing. And these generals, these war generals, all surround her with like mink coats. And she changes from her childish little ragdoll appearance into this like cold and austere woman of industry, of like a corporation. And she takes us on a little tour of her factory and the methods introduced to the children to get them to want to fight wars.
0: Yeah, so they, they have the example of, of war with Peru. So, so how, like, uh, using that as example, what sort of war toys does she make?
2: So she'll sit around with her generals and they circle a map that, of Peru, right? They, they're looking at a map of Peru and they decide to get people to engender hatred towards the Peruvians. They make thousands of little zombie lifelike creatures that are painted the same color as they call the natives. And they can only be killed with crosses made of white flesh.
0: Yeah, the way that it's described in the, in the picture is hypersexed brown native vampire dolls who can only be destroyed by a cross the color of white skin. <sighs>
2: yes. And then they go to the next scene where they make a laxative that is also the color of quote-unquote the natives, which they name after the capital of Peru. It's
0: a laxative that induces vomiting.
2: And they create a comic book strip, which is the most hilarious part of this segment called captain captain and he they like kind of pan down the cover of this comic book which if there are any in print i would love to get my hands on one and it's uh it goes down and you see that the title of this episode for this comic is against the peruvian monster so if you're peruvian this scene might ruffle a few feathers but yeah basically saturn is in charge of engendering military ideals in children to hate foreigners i guess
0: yeah the, th- the thematic like underpinning here is is fairly obvious i think um like let's do propaganda that engenders hatred
2: yeah and a lot of the toys are weapons in themselves
0: exactly and then you have nude indigenous children in a factory wielding bows and arrows and they're like these children will go off to war in 10 years time yeah
2: they're like measuring their brain waves and stuff and like seeing how they can like manipulate the minds and psychology of children to you know yeah it's pretty cut and dry i guess here with the symbolism
0: yeah, Jeff. Anything to say about this one before we move on?
1: No, I was actually really happy I didn't have to do this uh, scene. Like, <laughs> I, 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 this scene was probably the the downturn of the movie for me. Um, I, yeah, it's a little bit of a. It's a little on the nose, and at to at to this point, I, this movie was being very tongue-in-cheek. This movie was being, like, tongue-in-throat, <laughs> and, and I, and so now, like, at this point, it was, like, a little too on the nose, so I was just like, oh, okay, like, okay, I see what they're doing, but I don't know, I just felt a little let down by this sequence. Good sequence, but definitely one of my least favorite. The
2: tongue is now licking your forehead, right? It's like... Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Well, our next, our next one is Berg, whose planet is Uranus. Um, Jeff, do you want me to describe this then? Because um, you did more of a symbolic reading than a, a shot by shot.
1: Sure, thing. yeah, that would be appreciated. Because I have a lot to say about this, but I don't have the shot by shot kind of okay. like, take for play it. play by play. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we, we start off with this weird looking skinny guy who has an old wife, uh, an old fat wife with green hair and they wake up in bed and she begins spanking him with a rubber monster hand and it's like this weird conglomeration of disgusting eroticism and like goofy comedy we have this a really this really erotic dancing scene with a prop horse and she brushes her hair on on this really high impractical toilet um <laughs> I don't even know man there's goofy costumes they begin feeding milk to a snake through a bottle and then wrap the snake up in a multicolored onesie and then they go off to meet the president who is attended to by hot slabs of man cake in their undies and they talk about a plan to have population control and so to eliminate the population they propose Gas chambers, gas schools, gas universities, gas libraries, gas museums, gas dance halls, and gas whorehouses. <laughs> I <laughs> have that written
1: right here, gas whorehouses.
0: So then they they go and have a tea party in the garden surrounded by these beefcakes. And the guy gets really angry at a cake and starts smashing it and saying i hate you i hate you i hate you so jeff tell us the, <laughs> the grand the grand thematics of this wonderful scene
1: after so after the scene cuz what i would usually do is i would watch the scene and then i'd go back and then i'd like watch it like little set shot for shot and try to like break it down this scene after i watched it the first time i remember going like oh fuck out loud <laughs> because it was just another one of those like Mind bogglers, but I, what I'm wanting to say is, like the face of like opulence, like just dis- the face of like disgusting royalty. The fact that like royalty bring brings off this ideal in front of the public, but really like there it's it's disgusting and like even probably more so because they have access to more things. Because it's like this kind of like weird, crude, kinky sex act in this like kind of haberdash manner, and then um, the snake. I I really was like, okay, snake, Satan, right away. Like I kind of put that, and also uh, you're to do it. You know, Uranus, Pluto. Uh, it just I don't know. It just kind of worked for me that this was a little bit of like a hell implication because you have like this kind of gas chamber Nazi reference. And it's just like this kind of like horrendous corrupt government. And the cake part is where it just lost me. Like that scene in the garden tea party with the cake. I just, I just totally lost the thread. <laughs> and, Cause like the birds are like shitting on the cake or something like that. And like, and then he keeps like wiping the shit away and then he gets mad at the cake. And I was just, I don't know. I, 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 I lost it there. I was just looking I was just sitting at the edge of
0: my couch
1: with my hand my chin in my hands. Like, what?
0: Why? Is this the point where you decided that the movie owed you eighteen <laughs> fifty?
1: No, 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 no. I love this movie. Like I truly do. I think it's like really a fantastic piece of art. It took multiple watches. But the movie owes me eighteen fifty because it like it just took away all of like my like perceptions of what I thought I knew about like what you can put onto film and have it still make sense. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. I just like I was like, you need to give me my like my money back for that. Yeah. <laughs> you, owe uh, you owe me you like you owe me some kind of retribution for like Making me once again go like, oh, okay, well, you can just, like, say anything without saying anything.
0: So next we move on to probably my favorite character, which is Axon, whose planet is Neptune. And oh my god, Axon is this, this mohawked muscle man who's like a warlord. He's surrounded by his armies carrying a huge comedy gun onto a podium where he busts out a big pair of scissors and cuts the balls off a young man, and everyone cheers. It turns out he keeps 1,000 pairs of these balls in a room full of jars. He, he takes the young man there, and he says, Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of a 1,000 testicles. Which would actually be 2,000. So, technical point. <laughs> um... We then cut to explosions and colored gas in a city as they douse the population in buckets of blood. And it's like a guar video. People are disemboweled, and which reveals gumballs, ribbons, Christmas lights, watermelons, birds, strawberries, and various colored liquids. All of these things come out of the people who are being disemboweled. Axon then prays over a pile of severed limbs, and then we have a little a little sequence of him being worshipped in his testicle room, and that's Axon.
1: Oh man, this guy is just <laughs> this guy is. I really kind of I, I like this scene because it's more of a testament to kind of what I was talking about before with this this sterilization of war atrocities with like gumballs and confetti and fake colored paint. But I do like the one juxtaposition where they do use like blood in the very beginning part. And then they kind of like switch and it's almost like this weird mirror, like almost two sides of one coin. Like it's like, like this is graphic and then they switch to the confetti and the candy and the obviously sausage links and it just becomes it becomes less impactful and i don't know if that is something they're trying to say but it definitely read like that for me
2: this is the point in the film where if you were to probably try and draw like a historical you know connection to something going on at the time it would be what was happening in the Chilean you know government this like the slaughtering of you know pro socialist protesters the killing and assassination of the socialist leader to then, you know, a fascist um, one. And I was trying to think if any of the things that co- were coming out of their bodies were like indicative in any way of, you know, what it, what they were like made of, you know, cause a lot of them are red. If we're talking about like the socialism aspect, a lot of the things that come out of their bodies are red. He pulls out red light bulbs. One of the soldiers does then it's red cherries. And then it's watermelon, you know, but then there are also birds and then grass and like blue liquid coming out of orifices of people. So I really don't know if there is any historical connection. I will say, I think the most beautiful scene in the film is actually in this part. And it's when he's praying, Axon, I believe, is is praying over the limbs and the people. There's this shot where the dust kind of is, is moving over the street and... I just think as there's a thing I do with films a lot where even if the film is not very good or something like that, there are some, sometimes where you just realize, or you think to yourself, the director had to film this because it was just a beautiful scene and it, and he had to put it in the movie because visually it's just something it was very cool to watch. So that scene I really like, but yeah, that's about it for, for Neptune.
0: Yeah. So we have one more character whose name is Lute and his planet is pluto so alex here's your your final task here
2: all right so this one was uh interesting i will say it's maybe like the least uh graphic or like vibrant of the of the planet scenes um not the planet but the character scenes but loot Pl- is the architect he's like the titan of architecture and We're introduced to him in this house that, you know, has all these crazy, like, ins and outs and domes and curves and the walls and whatnot. And it looks like it's made out of wood. I want to say the music as well is classical in this moment, um, which I thought was interesting. And he's being prayed to, like, by all of these prostrate children that seem to be dressed up like Mickey Mouse. Um, yeah, they play hide and seek with them. Yeah, in in his like house of tunnels and lights and and things like that. Um, and he's wearing kind of like this strange like gold robe thing. And I don't know like how it. They look so much like Mickey Mouse that the idea of Disney and this idea that we talked about commodification before is almost like unavoidable. But I don't know what it's saying about those things um so after the little session of hide and seek he dips out of his house and he like he's dressed now in some type of helmet with a cigar leading a cadre of what look like elite looking people through a community of entirely disabled like some people are missing legs some people are doing pull-ups on monkey bars and they have like polio um braces on some people are missing limbs and whatnot and we go into a basketball, like, auditorium-style banquet um, where loot is seemingly the host or the conductor. We never see him change outfits, but he is in different outfits. Um, this time a silvery, kind of Michael Jackson thriller look. And as everyone eats a full rotisserie chicken, each person has their own rotisserie chicken,
0: I had eraser head flat. Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. Uh, he's like conducting some type of ceremony where the beef cakes of men, like that we saw without their shirts off. Some of them come out with this giant ice sculpture of a penis. Um, And And the women, women, yeah, the women go after it, and they're like running their hands all up and down the shaft and whatnot. And then a bearded woman appears, or what looks like maybe a beard is like applied with makeup or cosmetics. And she starts doing this kind of dance in the middle of the banquet while Luke is unveiling a coffin of some type of proportion in the room with a naked blonde that he gets to kind of crawl into like the coffin. She goes into the coffin and then we are shown like a multitude of what look like model sized coffins? Does that make sense to you? It looks like
0: it looks like So they're supposed to be like like personal apartments or something, but they're they're coffins. And the design he shows with these coffins stacked a bunch stacked on top of each other in rows is reminiscent of the human factories in the matrix oh yeah it
2: is actually that makes sense and it's like miniature
1: yeah it's also kind of an implication that like this like this project type housing that we build for people to live in is essentially just coffins for them to die in Mm. and so it's like this like we can fit the most people in this building if we put them already in their coffin
2: yeah and he speaks to something like that at the beginning you know when he's like at first we built them all these things thinking that's what they needed or something like that and then he holds up that poster right where it's like welcome to free land or free city and it's like be be without a family be without a house or something like that which is really interesting because it's like seems that he's peddling like what you just said jeff this idea of plastic homes
0: Live at the corporation, eat at the corporation, don't have a family. Yeah, it's it's pretty cut and dry what it's saying there.
2: Once again, the extras, magnificent. I mean, you had to fill a room with rotisserie chickens and all these people willing to just stuff their face into it.
0: <laughs> so now that we have our, our cast of weirdos, all these dudes and dudettes then arrive to the tower via helicopter. And the guru tells them that they will pilgrimage to the holy mountain in search for immortality. And we're back, we're back in the, uh, the sort of chambers within this structure. And all the characters enter a circular yellow room and gather around a fire pit shaped like an eye. And the guru tells them to burn their money. And so all these weirdos then dump duffel bags full of money on the table. Except Jesus, because he ain't got no money. Uh, he tries to pocket a few bucks on the sly, but the, the guru calls him out, and everyone laughs. And um, yeah, he then says, we shall destroy the self-image. And there's some some mystical talk about the self, and then all the weirdos burn their own effigies yeah okay
1: <laughs> so this scene was very long and complex. I called this this was very an act two in the in the sense of like a mandy where there's a distinct act one and act two. After the introduction of the characters, I called this the best kung Fu movie with no kung fu hmm. and it's it's just it it takes this almost this archetype of like these warriors. This pantheon of people coming together to achieve enlightenment as one. I I I wrote like down like the Justice League, you know, kind of quip. It's like it's almost like this Justice League of heroes of their like corporate domains that come down to try to like gain some type of purity and and enlightenment from unity. And yeah, the, the burning of the money was a very Neil Breen scene to me. Oh my god. It had a, such a Neil Breen feel to it. Like, come, burn your money. Uh, I could just hear him narrating that. But yeah, so that, that, that scene definitely definitely had a, a connotation of cheesiness. I don't know. That, that scene was a little particular cheesiness
0: to me. Um, yeah, you say that that was act two. I would, I would almost say it's probably act three, because this is where we begin the ascent of the mountain. I would think of act two as like the the um, the worlds of all these weirdos or the uh, the just just their scenes, you know, their establishing scenes.
1: Sh- sure. It's just like it, it seems like just in that first half, there was no sense of a narrative. And then all of a sudden we have a very like clear narrative is more what I mean.
0: Right. No, I, I get you. But now we we are finally on some sort of journey proper with a, with a, a quest to get to the holy mountain. And so we cut to a forest mountain and everyone is now wearing the pilgrim outfits. We then travel around the countryside for an hour where some peasants do some rituals for the benefit of our characters. An old man does a cleansing, healing ritual. And an old woman feeds them something that I assumed to be peyote or mezcal or something like that. Mm -hmm. And everyone runs around in a field while the guru speaks dialogue about flowers knowing things.
2: The green, the green stuff that they drank, man, is it's interesting because like, there's a shot where the chimp um, comes back, right, and he's like eating out of the bowl that they
0: oh yeah important to note that the uh the prostitute and the chimp are still following yeah distance at this point. so i was
2: gonna say i think that like this is kind of like it you were rocketed back down to like some type of terrestrial plane and i also wanted to say that what's playing in the background is when they're going through this wilderness it's like an andean like pan flute right so again something going on with peru <laughs> and like
0: oh. just
2: like this i mean that Instrument is extremely popular in like Peruvian, like their national folkloric song El Condor Pasa, and it's like, I just I don't know if this filmmaker had something against Peruvians or if he loved the area or something like that. But there's a huge split of indigenous and you know Spanish mestizo kind of population, the European transplants, um, that is still very apparent today. So this idea of pilgrimage and walking through the more indigenous or native parts of the land seems to be like all of them, along with our thief slash Jesus, are kind of like shedding their, I don't know, western, colonial, whatever you want to call it, like garb. I like this, these scenes, though. They're on nature.
0: Yeah, they... They form a line in some ruins and begin to undulate. There's these, these shots of fire ants, beetles, scorpions, and other insects, and a running dog. And he says, the dog will take your senses away from you. He will see for you. And everyone gets high, <laughs> and shit gets weird. <laughs> One of them starts playing in a puddle and draws out a bird. We have a few other ceremonies and mystical dialogue to the effect of, of dying in order to be reborn. Like the guru says, the grave is the door to your rebirth. And it's essentially about surrender and how possessions sort of enslave you.
1: Yeah. I definitely saw this as like, cause I, you have to remember that I was like, look, looking at this through the, the lens that these, these characters were gods. Of their like particular realm. Mm-hmm. And that like all of these gods have indulged in war or greed or lust in one way or another. And this is them like purifying their souls to like just become like truly enlightened higher beings.
0: Oh, absolutely. Whether, whether you take the reading of it them being from another planet or not is all basically inconsequential. Because what you say is completely accurate.
1: Yeah and there's a couple of like newer video games that are out today that kind of play with this same concept where like what we consider gods were actually real living people who just ascended to a higher level of existence and then became our gods and I like that this is like a very old version of that that narrative theme is like these are just people who almost want to attain a higher level of godhood because it's a quest for immortality at the end of the at the end of the day
0: it is mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what that is doing. the goal yeah um, to
2: snatch the the wisdom of the wise men
0: after this scene they head to appear and they're followed by children along with the girl and the monkey and our jesus character tries to perform a miracle for them to no avail the guru shows him What would happen if he could perform a Christ-like miracle? And we have this shot of bread beginning to flourish on the ground, and all the natives get greedy and violent with each other. Um, They then enter the boat and sail away, and the girl and the monkey get in a little rowboat of their own to follow.
1: Yeah, I think that scene kind of speaks for itself, you know? It's just this kind of almost like teach a man to fish type mentality it has a slight tinge of imperialism to it where like the savages can't handle the gift of bread but I, I i kind of get what they were trying to say but i felt like it was a fairly straightforward idea that was presented i
2: wanted to say one little factoid i think i read that the director actually did feed psilocybin mushrooms to the crew during the death rebirth scene to the actors
0: i love that yeah I just... <laughs> I'm not surprised at all they do, they do a ritual On the boat next To excise a monster From Jesus' mind And it turns out to be Our paraplegic Blunt smoking little friend um, Jesus embraces him And laughs But the guru tells him to chuck him in the water Which uh, Jesus reluctantly does He's apparently a demon Of the mind so that's that's the last we see of our midget buddy. Very sad.
1: Yeah these little blue sailors had me cracking up. I don't know something about like their costumes and this and like how it was like filmed on this really bad blue screen. <laughs> just just I don't know it was just had me cracking up
0: but uh, on the boat yeah on the boat. So it was not a blue screen actually um, they they intended to do a thing where everyone jumped in the water. And so involving some kind of scene, I don't remember exactly what, but the waters were so violent or whatever that all the camera crew had to just put everything down and save the actors. So none of, like, they didn't end up with any footage. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, no. know.
1: For me, it felt like a very fake looking scene. Yeah.
0: Huh interesting
1: yeah I don't know I didn't, it, didn't look, it did not look real to me but I don't know it, it's uh it's definitely kind of like this bittersweet idea that like this character that like kind of at first when he met the thief was an antagonist and you know, he, he teamed up with the kids to pelt them with stones but then you know they through the power of marijuana they they found a mutual respect for one another but it's it's strange how that ended up being, like, the demon of his mind. I don't know, I found that to be a really interesting turn. Yeah, that is interesting, actually.
2: I was happy myself to see him again.
0: (laughs) Me too. Yeah. If only for a small amount of time. Well, you think about what they were doing together, and all the times you saw him was essentially Jesus, our Jesus character, just being decadent you know whether he's whether he's slamming down a bottle of vodka or participating in in the amazing toad carnage <laughs> and jumping around and squawking like a beast so i don't know like i guess you can draw the parallels there to him being possessed by some sort of demon but it's almost one of those things where you're just like okay movie sure yeah <laughs> yeah, <Why> yeah. <laughs> um so they reach the shore and everyone stands on a cliff and cuts their hair off. Uh, We then meet a Bavarian who's drinking an enormous beer, who tells them they're not the first to come to Lotus Island in search of the holy mountain. And he brings them to a building called the Pantheon Bar. The
1: Pantheon Bar.
0: (laughs) Which is enormous on the inside, and a giant party is taking place. People are engaged in all forms of decadence. You have this hippie guy who gives this speech and says, The cross was a mushroom, and the mushroom was also the garden of good and evil. The philosophical stone of the alchemists was LSD. The book of the dead is a trip, and the apocalypse describes a mushroom experience. You also have some guy who says he can go through the holy mountain but that he can only advance horizontally. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what did you guys make of this whole sequence?
1: I so the cutting of the hair was also an interesting thing. I thought that was that's a theme that's been running through this movie a lot is this kind of cutting of the hair of purification. So I just thought that was interesting, but uh no, the pantheon bar was one of my favorite scenes cuz they're outside of it and it looks like a dingy little shack with like it says the pantheon bar all like clumsily on the sign and i'm like oh what are they going to go to this like tiki bar in the middle of nowhere and it turns out to be like a high step in high class like jazz club <laughs> i don't know it was such a great transition that scene transition when it like clips like immediately to like the music i just i fell in love but um but yeah it's it's definitely i think the 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 idea of it is that this is like the place where you can feel like you achieved godhood but without actually achieving it. the pantheon bar you know it's it's the place where people there promise you fake versions of the holy mountain mm-hmm. like there was a, all these it's so it's basically like fake holy mountain promises through drugs and false prophets
0: yeah
2: it's uh I love the scene as well. It seems that they're, like, in the graveyard, right? When they're, like, dancing around and doing their thing. Um, But that scene, I love the character that explains to them the, like, history of the Bible as, uh, you know, this kind of psychedelic just journey with all these different substances. And, like, he eats, like, what looks like all these orange-flavored jelly beans out of his hand. Um, I liked his little speech, but... I thought that I wanted to see more of the other guy. The guy with the uh, like Uncle Sam hat. And he was covered in flies. His hand was covered in flies. And I wanted to know, like, what is this trying to tell me about the beginning? Because uh, the thief is covered in flies as he's, like, soiling himself, right? And I didn't know if they had any relation. But again, like at many points and junctions in this movie, you just give it up to the movie and you let it role
0: the flies is an interesting part i don't know if there's something there about like i don't know not being ascended or or the temptation of worldly things because that's when jesus himself is soiling himself and surrounded by empty liquor bottles he's just at his lowest point oh. and this whole bar this whole bar scene is about temptation and about just giving up the quest for comforts
1: yeah i yeah. definitely agree with that reed that's uh, that's what exactly what i felt as well is like this is the the stop for people who are are fine with creating a substitution a hollow substitution of it it's
2: almost like the last the
1: last test right
2: or like the last visage of temptation that i guess you could get sucked mm. into
0: and the last temptation, perhaps. Definitely not the last test, because we have a little bit more to go. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so they they leave the bar and begin to ascend the mountain. The monkey and the girl are still following. They, we have a shot where they're using climbing ropes to go up this sheer cliff, and one of the women gets scared. And then um, the guru says, possibly my favorite line in the whole movie, Rub your clitoris against the mountain. Give yourself to the world.
2: It's the best line in the movie.
0: It is the best it's line. The right?
2: best,
1: yeah. It's the best line in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's. I, th- I, I think it's written in all of our notes. It's the best
0: line. <laughs> and she does. She show. does. Yeah, she Seems does. To greatly enjoy it. <laughs> she
1: has what I consider the best sex scene in any movie ever. Eat your heart out, Meg Ryan. It's just
0: a fully clothed woman <laughs> rubbing up against a mountain.
1: Yeah,
2: in, like, full
1: climbing gear. Just so into it.
0: So it uh, it begins to get quite snowy as they ascend. One of the guys says his fingers are frozen. And they tell him, you need to cut your fingers off or go back. Because the thing you love most, your body, is something you cannot let go of. And it's keeping you from reaching the top. And so he does. He cuts off his fingers.
2: Who was that? Um, the first guy,
0: you know, I don't know. Once they all shave their heads, it's really I'm hard, like, yeah. It's hard to distinguish, and I don't know if it's a point against the movie, but it doesn't feel like a lot of the things that are set up to be like the themes and traits that swirl around the nexus of these characters are explored. To any great degree later on, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I think maybe because the time that it took to introduce each character in such in-depth, like, like you said, they assaulted us with like these philosophical uh, compositions of, and symbolic compositions of each character that the journey afterwards is so, yeah, it's so lightly touched upon, but maybe that is like part of you know the uniformity of it all. Wearing the same clothes, shaving
0: their heads. Yeah, it's all they're all in the same kind of game after that. And I yeah, I don't I don't think it's too much of a problem because I don't necessarily think that the thought process in that whole introductory sort of menagerie was to set up characters. It was more to point out themes of things that exist in the world that are evils to be shed. So they continue on, and it's, it's not snowy anymore. For some reason, they're now leading a tiger up the mountain, and things get psychedelic in the minds of our, our sojourners. There's a, there's a field of horses stuck in holes, and one of the women cuts a piece off of one of the horses and eats it raw. Uh, gold coins rain from the sky and one guy is pelted to death. This is all occurring in their minds, by the way. Um, you have Axon violently beating on some drums mm-hmm. as dogs fight to just an insane soundtrack. Uh, we get to see cows fucking in ruthless detail <laughs> as as a lady's face is covered in white goo. Um, an old lady in a tree that's covered in dead roosters, waves a bloody sword, cuts the genitals off of one of our male characters, and strings him up along with the roosters. And you have a you have a nice shot of one man being completely covered in tarantulas, which probably was not super fun for him to film <laughs> because this was before computer generated imagery.
2: Yeah, I will say the lady in the tree she gave me so much kurosawa vibes the way that she's standing there with the sword and like the the wind blowing and like the weird makeup that they do on her her face i don't know why not to say that anything else in this movie is like akira kurosawa but just that that image really drove it home for me right there
1: yeah i definitely call this the final test of our heroes yeah. or of our characters this final like look at what it would be if they were to turn back now or, or fall to their their vices and their their past lives fears almost right
2: too like it seems like there's something psychological yeah. is going on with each one and they're seeing their like greatest
0: Not maybe not fear yeah i called it internal horrors that's a
2: good word yeah good phrase
0: I could have really personally done without the cow, the yeah. enormous erection, the, but there you the go. The cow thing
2: was intense. She was also getting, like, fisted in the face at, at, in that scene, and I didn't understand what
1: that was supposed to mean. Cause, like, Dude, I know, I've never seen a cow's dick before, so it was kind of educational yeah. for
0: me. <laughs> and the best shot of the movie, perhaps is when one of them uncovers a white tarpaulin to reveal an old man with half a beard and enormous breasts his breasts become leopard heads and he shoots shoots milk from their mouths into the man's face and it is just insane that was one of the
1: best pieces of prosthetics i saw yeah
2: <laughs> the the sagging boobs right when they were first like saggy and he's like suckling from them and then it's. Or are you talking about like the the cougar heads or the tiger heads?
1: He's talking about kind of like the like the old like half bearded. I called it like the grand person. Oh, okay. Character, and then it's like it like approaches him, and it's it she it, like suckles off of the teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it, that was such an incredible just costume. Yeah. It was. It's
0: just such a weird image. The half-shaven beard definitely
2: is like intense. The guy had a very intense-looking face too. He's like John Hurt-looking almost.
1: Well, I saw it as like a half-grandmother, half-grandfather, like almost like. Oh, okay. That that cause, like because he had like makeup on like the non-shaven side, so I almost saw it as like this combination of of your grandparents.
0: Well, what do you make of the the? the tiger breasts uh shooting milk at the man jeff
1: uh, i mean i mean i think you i make it i make of it as much as you can make <laughs> of it which is this is kind of weird
0: and and meta-
1: it's so metaphorical that's what i make of it
0: <laughs> yeah we'll just say that it's metaphorical honest we have tons of deep thoughts that we could go into about the thematic nature of the tiger breasts shooting milk but but we'll spare you that it's okay so we are now at the climax of our film we see up on a hillside some figures in robes around uh, a table and he says uh, the guru says there are the immortals you don't need a master now you can win by yourself Goodbye. He then instructs Jesus to cut off his head, brandishing an enormous scimitar from the bushes. He swings the sword to decapitate our guru, and we cut to a decapitated lamb with fountains of blood, and the guru laughs and then just leaves. He comes back with the girl and the monkey and tells Jesus to forget the mountain and leave with her because love. Right? Love.
1: I think that was Jesus' final test, I think, or the thief's final test is to like run away with the prize. I almost kind of saw like the girl and the monkey as the prize, like the answer. Like you get like the the girl, your 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 most revered follower, and then you get the monkey, which is like almost like the answer to the equation of evolution or whatever, at least my interpretation of it and it's like his final test to understand can he follow through with this lifestyle because I almost saw him try to make the bread in the scenes prior as like a, a faltering of his, his newfound enlightenment and now it's like can you carry through are you dedicated to this path
0: mm. so do you, think, do you think he passed the test or I th- failed it well he did because it's the blood of the lamb
1: like he 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 passed it like he killed the lamb the 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 part of him that is the benevolent spirit of god and is now on a different path that is very interesting
2: that makes sense though actually you know like this the new enlightenment that you get or like the newly the newly converted christian in say like England or some Western countries all of a sudden full with all the zest to go and spread his bread all over, you know, the indigenous native islands. And then he realizes at the end that like, I think what this movie is saying is like, no, that is not the actual spiritual journey. Like, uh, and when he walks away with the monkey and the woman, it's like, does he ascend the the trappings of, you know, pure, t- puritanical like religious constriction like is it that is he now able to walk into the next into tomorrow as an evolved man um but yeah i I thought it was really important like how when they go up to the all the people the wise men right and the reveal
1: but yeah yes yeah yeah the you you got punk yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) we
0: reach we reach the summit and the white cloaked figures atop it And all of them are dummies, except for the guru, who reveals himself and everyone laughs. And he then reveals the great secret. If we cannot obtain immortality, at least we have attained mortality. But is this real? No. It is a film. Zoom back, camera. We are images, dreams, photographs. We must not be prisoners. We must break the illusion. Goodbye to the holy mountain. Real life awaits us. So the camera does zoom back and we reveal that it's a movie.
1: Yeah, this this part really threw me through for a loop. I mean I I, I it was just such a massive fourth wall break, and you see the set and the uh-huh. bombs and all the crew and just everybody kind of huddled around watching and it was almost like like it was almost like a hard disconnect they had kept you along this whole time for 2 hours uh almost 2 hours of this mind bending acid trip and now they're just saying okay we're done <laughs> and they just they just hard disconnect you from this reality and send you back on your way
0: well, I was synthesizing this from the point of view of this being Dorowski's personal journey, right? And I think two lines that he says towards the end here are like pretty important, where he says, if we cannot attain immortality, at least we have attained mortality. And then goodbye to the holy mountain, real life awaits us. So there's this there's this sort of idealization or this this thing to be reached and, um, like worshipped almost, whether it's uh, an ideology or a concept of mortal immortality. But finally, it's like, no, all of those things are are illusions, and what's important is to live. And so I think ending it the way he did, is it a way of encapsulating that idea. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. I do agree
2: with that. I do think there's like even more of maybe like a furthering of a meta, like push or commentary, not just on art but on just the art of filmmaking. Um, the idea that every time you go into a movie, you're going to pin your hopes and dreams to this type of spiritual journey that the the filmmakers are putting you on, but. And it can be a holy mountain, right? It could be a crazy experience, but real world, the real life, like, always awaits you outside of the doors and the ticket booth and everything like that. And it's like, if you can't live inside of a movie forever and always explore those things, at least you can achieve like little experiences of mortality, where you you start a film and then it it ends. Which I mean, it doesn't die, but it, it's like it goes through this like mortal life cycle. You as a film person you go through this life cycle that term or not life cycle excuse me an experience that terminates once the film is over and then you must bring in everything that you just thought about that film and confront it with like the real world right um i don't know if it if it's going that meta that's just kind of where i would go if i was piggybacking off of the idea that you just
0: brought up. well i think i think it is because i don't know you you almost think about A film as like just this this closed circle or like Mm -hmm. i don't know like an egg or something it's it's an entity unto its own but what this movie does at the end is is break that open um and it's i don't know it was very uncomfortable for me this time the commentary on like goodbye to the holy mountain or or this this little cinematic world real life awaits us and i would describe it as uncomfortable this time because i've spent the whole last almost year and a half like basically living in movies Mm -hmm. i haven't been able to like go do things with people um i mean you and i were in berkeley so like we we had some stuff to do obviously Mm -hmm. but i don't know i was just like operating mentally within these little like bite-sized realities that I enjoy without living myself and so it was an interesting ending this time yeah
2: no yeah definitely I mean the line for me I've always been someone who's blurred the line between narrative fiction and real life and the importance of symbolism and in art and how it affects life um but the line this last year became almost like non-existent for me right It was all I had to latch on to, to see some type of normalcy of people interacting in ways that I could not in real life. It, I don't know, it was like a sandboxing of, of the mind where I could build these little castles in my head and in the film cinematic universe as we enjoy these movies and then knock them down. Right. And now that it's kind of ending, this film is actually it's a very good commentary on the feelings of a individual, the mental state of an individual kind of coming out of this, like, you know, I mean, maybe we could all be waking up tomorrow, soiling ourselves with flies all over our face and begin our journey.
1: It's definitely a, a good point is that this movie, I think was trying so hard to be a bigger, representation of art on film i think i said this in the beginning and i really wanted to circle back to it is this movie is a painting done on film and it takes a long time of looking at it and understanding it and and diagnosing it and breaking it down scene for scene that i think that that move to plug you out of the reality at the end is definitely done as like a higher meta purpose of almost like because you sometimes walk out of the theater with this this high Mm -hmm. because you're just you were just in this different reality and now you walk back out into that cold like night street and you're just now left with your interpretations and your readings of what you just saw and like you just need to interpret that on your own time not on the movie's time and that's just such a it's 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 art for the artist. I don't know. I, yeah. I really just fell in love with this movie's passion and dedication towards art. Yeah.
0: Yeah, don't don't cling to the lower things that drag you down. cleanse yourself and recognize that your life is finite and and live it. You know, it's it's really cool and I I love the painting analogy, Jeff because as you were saying that, I thought of some of like the great crazy paintings like uh, like from Hieronymus Bosch or something, where it's this enormous scene, like the garden of good and evil, where there are these clear motifs and stuff going on, but like just also incredibly weird things going on. like Like you can zoom into any like infinitesimal part of this huge painting. And find a weird detail that maybe you can't synthesize, but it 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 all acts as like a like a tone to, to form a tone that that is like envelops the whole painting. You know, even if you can't describe what that detail's doing there, it all services the whole. And that's I mean, someone who hasn't seen this movie and is listening to this still two hours <laughs> in um, I I don't know, I don't, I have no idea how listenable <laughs> this is. If it's just like a a parade of nonsense, but um, yeah, I don't know. Weird movie. Yeah, definitely a production. It's,
1: <laughs> yep, it's definitely suitable for us. Oh yes, oh yes.
0: A real weird movie, but dumb tish. <laughs> smattering of chuckles i'll take it that's fine <laughs> you swing and you miss uh, well um yeah i mean that's that's the holy mountain i think uh do- owing to the length that we're going to here we won't do recommendations but i will say for next week we are watching something that nobody should ever ever see it's called funny games and it is the most mean, awful, pointless, sadistic, and thoroughly irredeemable movie that I've possibly ever seen.
1: Glowing. Um, and, the, and and there's two of them. Yes.
0: And there's two of them. He remade it shot for shot. So, Alex, you're going to have some real explaining. This to was do. my choice
2: to anyone <laughs> listening. It this was is my recommendation. So,
0: don't watch the movie and look forward to that. And, uh,. Yeah, signing off. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, all. Appreciate it. Have a good night.